The women go looking for death. As the night sky is just beginning to warm, they come to give their love to that awful death. They come with bags of spices and jars of oil. Arriving at the tomb, though, they find only signs of great life. And so they turn on their heels and race back. They run hard along the dusty road, the soles of their calloused feet slapping hard. They race over the smooth old stones, cobbling the narrow streets until they find the house and leap up the stairs two at a time, banging their fists on the door. The women are breathless, choking on their words as they recover from the sprint, the story already tumbling out of their grief-worn throats. They breathe and pause, and then one proclaims their news with authority. He was not there. He is risen. I wonder how long the room stands silent when she stops speaking. Does one solitary laugh ring out, granting permission then for all the rest to follow? Do they start asking questions, or have they concluded right from the start that these women are probably hysterical? I imagine some wiping their eyes, seemingly grateful to be crying from laughter for a change. These women, always running in with another idle tale. But this is a step too far. Can't they let their teacher rest in peace? This is where our Easter story begins. The men are incredulous. They dismiss the women's witness out of hand. And what is an idle tale but a silly, baseless twist of ideas? It is a hopeless collection of dead ends offered out of boredom or foolishness. Or so it seems. So we are tempted to believe. These idle tales are everywhere, here at home and circling the globe. Listen to another. There is a village in Senegal, in the very west tip of Africa. This village sits hours into the desert. The climate is harsh. It is so dry that little grows there besides the very most resilient trees. Years ago, the community was in crisis. Their wells had all but run dry, and what little water they still could pull up was far, far less than they needed to survive. Some governmental aid did exist, But the village was so remote, it did not qualify. Their elders were at a loss. 
It seemed that accepting the dusty end of their water was the only reasonable way forward. Though, of course, it was no way forward at all. I stumbled across this story through the words of Anne Lamont. She explains how Lynn Twist, a leader in global hunger initiatives, heard about this dire situation and grew curious. She brought a group of colleagues to the village to learn more uh, about what was happening and what, if anything, might be possible. The group, representing a nonprofit called The Hunger Project, arrived to a joyful scene, to song and dance, which on its own was surprise enough. There was clearly much for them to learn in this place. Eventually, they all sat down together to listen. There were plenty of dead ends. After all, the situation was untenable, impossible, so far gone. There was no water. Throughout this discussion, though, the, the women of the village were sitting behind the men, Silently, though it was obvious that they wanted to speak. It was out of order, a a break from tradition for them to enter in like this, but finally it spilled out. These women had seen visions of an underground lake. They knew where it was. They said they knew how to dig down to it if only they would be allowed to do so. Sitting there on the dry, dry orange sand, it seemed preposterous. It landed as an idle tale. Visions of an underground lake? Really? But then, what other options were there? Surprising even themselves, the visitors believed these women And eventually, the village elders acquiesced as well. The women began to dig. They dug with with small shovels, with their hands, with any tools they could find. They had seen water. They were sure of it. Friends, how can we be opened up to listen? What would happen? What would change if we did? Back in that upper room, Peter hears the women's tale. He sees the light in their eyes, the joyful fervor erupting from their mouths. Does he laugh like the others, shaking his head? Or does he simply sit there? On the rug, stunned, his his heart beginning to race as he remembers their teacher's far-fetched words. He doesn't announce his curiosity or give voice to his hope, but he rises. He slips away from the crowded room, quietly latching the door behind him. And then Peter runs. 
Like the women before him, he runs and runs. He does not waste time explaining himself as he races past people just beginning their days. He runs past donkeys and around carts of vegetables. He, he runs past soldiers buoyed up by this hope that is just enough to push down his fear. He runs and runs after this idle tale. And the women in that village in Senegal, they dig and dig and dig. They dig for weeks and then months. Responsibilities are reimagined in the village. Men taking on some of the work women had traditionally done while the women dig deeper yet. They take care of each other's children. They sing, they spell each other as they keep digging for this vision. A year passes. More. And finally, the stone is removed. The earth is pulled away And it is there, a massive underground lake hidden beneath the endless orange sand, just as the women had seen. There is water for them, yes, and and water for the 16 villages surrounding them who had also run dry. Water enough for everyone and more. And here is Peter racing all the way to the opening of the tomb, catching himself on that cold stone overhead, breathing hard from his run. Some part of him still still expects to meet death when he inhales again, expects the stench of loss to fill his lungs. But his gaze falls down, And his eyes come to rest on the linen clothes that should contain his dead friend's broken body. They do not. The rumpled clothes are empty except for this tremendous hope they now hold. He is not here, the women said. He is risen just as Jesus himself had told them. My dear ones, the risen Christ is on the move. Even now, something is stirring this great love that can grab someone and free them just enough to consider the idle tale, to tiptoe forward and explore it. If I'm honest, too often, I think I want nothing to do with it. It's too good to believe, too risky to hope like that. Trekking after these entirely improbable dreams, it means taking my heart and hanging it out on a limb, tender, exposed. And then this story comes to us again. This wild, gorgeous tale that pulls us forward. Can you imagine? 
Can you hear it? Can we rise to our feet and follow? It's the power that can catch in the heart of a nonprofit leader serving far from home, prompt them to quietly wonder well, maybe? What if there were an underground lake? And we see this new life stirring in Peter, nudging him to the door, carrying his feet fast to the tomb. Can we listen? Can we open ourselves to this absurd hope of resurrection? And then act. The risen one will lead us into this wild turn from impossible to maybe. This radical change is what we celebrate on this day. It's what makes us Easter people. We root ourselves in the trust that God is up to something, that she is making all things new, even now. So what is that vision? What is the vision that you've glimpsed but stuffed away? What dream did you hear someone begin to sing out before both of you then set it aside as ridiculous? What love seemed impossible to live, to offer, to have come for you? All this astonishing goodness is why we're here. To listen to the risen one. To welcome what sounds to be most unlikely hope. And to begin again. This, friends, this is why we celebrate Easter. To run and run after this idle tale. To run until we find new life, just as the women promised.